Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Has your business become a soap opera? Today we're going to show you how to take the drama out. Good morning, all. And to my partner in crime, Stan Simpkins. I'm Lonnie Shambi, and today... We're covering a subject that every small business faces, whether family-owned or privately-owned. It's all about showing you how to not allow your business to become a soap opera and take the drama out of it. At the risk of stating the obvious, workplace drama costs time and money, kills morale, increases turnover, not to speak of the human toll that it takes. And of course, that starts with one of my favorite subjects, and that's the culture you create. You know by your own actions, you can actually build in your own soap operas. Now, how do you do this? How do you not let this happen to you? How do you stop it? First, don't allow rabble-rousers. In previous podcasts, we emphasized that leaders should be setting the tone and the culture. If all you do is listen, that's important. But the moment you allow an employee to publicly vent, you've just said that, Engaging in drama is accepted and encouraged in your company. Think about that. And one of the biggest problems in the workplace is the drama that is often, some of it's legitimate. And to determine this, you'll need to hear and flush out your employees' issues. What I've done in just about every business that I've ever run is I would have a one-on-one with every employee. I mean, typically 50 employees or less. Twice a year, I would do one-on-one, two rules, no notes, and everything that's said in there stays in there. As a religious person that I am, the seal of the confessional. I would challenge people, give me something that I should change and then see if I tag it back to you because it's a problem. Never happens. That's the thing. And then if you've got two employees who are kind of at loggerheads, and you know it, get them together. Get them face-to-face. And when they have that issue and they're dealing with it face-to-face, suddenly it becomes less an issue. And lastly, as a leader, you have to take action. If workplace drama is going to stop, you need to stop it. That means you need to follow steps one and two. And beyond that, you need to enforce it. You have to create a culture that encourages teamwork, development employees, and promotes harmony. That begins with you as the leader, defining it, demonstrating it, 
and enforcing it. Your words are important, but your actions are what stops the drama cold. Put these business growth strategies in place and watch as you decrease your stress, increase your profit, and put you in the driver's seat, especially in this economy. Sorry to be so long-winded coming out of the shoot, Stan. <laughs> Jesus. I was just enjoying watching you. It's interesting. I call that the mommy, please give me attention syndrome that comes from childhood. <laughs> Some people are really good employees, but their need to be recognized in ways that they may have felt deprived when they're younger gets satisfied at work <laughs> with an employer who just can't help themselves. I, I met a hundred plus year old fish and said, how do you ever get to live so long? He said, I just don't bite on every hook that people throw at me. <laughs> and employers are often the people who bite on the hook of those employees that like to get their needs met at work instead of at home. The interesting thing with that is that we're all in a family business, example, they actually have the opportunity that the biggest risk that a family faces is that they face each other in a work environment and a social environment. And that's what kills the succession into the next generation because they don't like each other. You ever have that happen, Stan? Yeah, but you also, just to backtrack before I respond, you mentioned about listening, but then how about the follow-up part? That's what I usually get a lot of complaints about from employees regarding their employer. They'll say, oh, yeah, we talk about it, blah, 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 but nothing, nothing ever happens. happens. Yep. That's the most common complaint I've ever heard is that Oh, yeah, we talk a good game, but we don't play a good game. That's really critical. Talk about the common conflicts you've seen that plague family businesses. Yeah, I want to get into that. It's just fascinating. We talked about in previous podcasts, Lonnie, about how personality traits that people are innately born with, if you will, how that often dominates the way in which they lead or manage a company. And you have the rescuer personality that just wants to save everyone and take people who don't perform well and convert them. And those are people who are very easily sucked into that dynamic. And so that's something I want to just point out as people are listening to this. They ask themselves, and I also believe the 80-20 rule comes to play, that 80% of the drama is coming oh, from no 20% no or fewer question. of the employees. So look for a pattern. The thing is this, we talk about family business, but it's any business. The conflicts that come in are conflicts that exist whether the guy next to you is your brother or he's just a guy who's next to you and he works in the same place. You've got to all work together, and that's critically important. And there's another point. You talked about family businesses versus non-family, and I'm not going to say this is a general rule, but I think it's a relevant issue. In non-family businesses, businesses that run like corporations with rules and regulations and the whole bit and having an HR department, there are a lot more resources to help mitigate some of that issue that oftentimes just becomes an ongoing problematic area, especially in a family business. So that's another thing is it's more common for the small businesses not to have these other supplemental resources that can help mitigate the, the problem. The interesting that's thing, though, is what I've seen in some of my experiences is that's an excuse that's a dead-ass excuse where they use the family business. Oh, we don't need that because we know each other. And, and you know what? They're a business just like any other. 
A $3 million family business is the same as a $3 million privately owned business. There's no difference except in ownership and the fact that they all have the same last name. That's really what it's about. And so (laughs) that's the excuse they use, though, is that, oh, we're a family business. We don't have an HR department. Yeah, we do. It's called mom and dad. No, I just don't. As you grow, you've got to look for a way to become a real business. And I don't care if you're in business for five years or 50 years, you still need to do the same things. You need marketing, you need sales, you need operations, you need customer service, you need all of those things. HR is a big part of that. I've had this argument with family-owned businesses. And for those of businesses that do have an HR department, I would tell you the common gap I see is oftentimes the HR leaders oh, yeah. are more technical, legal, law, and not really what I call human capital resources, people that can deal with these issues. I call it organizational development, OD. So you have HR, which is more regulatory compliance, and I have OD, which is organizational development, who are going to be the people who can do the intercession of these kind of conflicts and things that are going on. So you're not sucked into oh, yeah, absolutely. As, a, as a CEO in the company. So let's talk about the three most common sources of conflict because this is a 30-minute total session. We'll never cover oh, yeah, absolutely. That's really a 30-day topic. So the three that I think are most common, for those of you who are, have two or more family members in the business, you're, that's a family business, pay close attention because I think you'll be able to relate to this. And for those who don't consider yourself a family business, this is still for you because as long as you've got human beings, the concepts will be the same. So what are they? So we have rivalries between the current generation who's working under the direction of a parent or founder, someone who's still in the leadership position, and you're the up-and-coming successors. So you got that dynamic, what I call rivalries. The second area, which we'll be talking about, is sibling rivalries. <laughs> okay, You could have a great leader, and he's not the problem, or she's not the problem. It's the two kids or three kids in the business, whatever, and their dynamic. And the third area we'll be talking about are the dynamics coming from non-family employees. I know if this is going to shock you, Lonnie, but you know that non-family employees learn how to work the system by creating oh, chaos oh, yes. amongst the family members. It's like watching one of those TV shows. That's I forget right. the name of the exactly. show. They undermine each other. Yes, Big Brother. Big Brother is perfect. Big Brother, yes. that's it. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So you have, as we've said in the past, a lot of this comes from unresolved conflicts that were during childhood. And I'm going to give you a living example in a moment about a home medical equipment company, oxygen, beds, things like that, that people get delivered to their home for medical care. It'll be something suitable for even TV, I would say. So you talk about the conflict. So when the founder is possibly, let's say, insecure, they're forever interfering with the successor generation rather than supporting them. And you have that, or you have the parent who's afraid of an aggressive child who wants to put the business at financial risk in the interest of growing it, but it's also putting that parent's retirement funds at possible risk. So whatever the cause is to whatever the rivalry is, you can count on it. And that's a big one. So when you haven't learned to deal with those issues as parent and child, imagine what happens when you bring it to the business. So that's something. 
So here we were with two brothers and a sister. The CEO was the younger brother <laughs> who used to get beat up by the <laughs> older brother who was the sales manager in the business. The sales manager, older brother, was actually a far more competent manager, much more professional, much more organized. But for whatever reasons, I don't know, I wasn't there when they organized the younger brother, who was a legend in his own mind, I might add, were in constant conflict. Now, what did the sister have to do? Oh, she was the referee. How did she become one? Simple. She let herself <laughs> She had a one. purpose. That was it. <laughs> yeah. So this was a combination of not only successor and I won't say founder, but let's say the leader in this business who wasn't a family member, the father and mother who actually started business were long gone, but the younger brother kind of took on what he thought was a fatherly role. He just somehow did. And you would think they were father and son by the way they were acting with each other rather than based upon their chronologic ages. And so that the poor sister was getting beat to death. Well, does it surprise you? Yes. That's what it was like when they were kids. She was the one in the middle. It's amazing. The culture of a family business is the same as the culture of a family. It just tracks naturally because they take a position that they've had most of their life. And whether that's a good position or a bad one, they take it anyway. And they end up being the kind of toxic culture that hurts them. And it hurts the business. And the thing is, we want to talk about what we can do about these problems. Stan's going to give us some really good insights as to what can happen with that. And I'm going to help him along because I've got some more stories that can go. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems? The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney, and this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. Well, welcome back. And so let's talk about, Lonnie had suggested we talk about some of the solutions. Obviously, amongst other things, we sometimes get to the point where we actually have to recommend that the client get some counseling because a lot of these unresolved issues are beyond the formal training that a typical business consultant would have. 
And aside from things like setting up protocols for communication, decision-making, and all the kind of good stuff we would tell you about, what I want to make the point of is even when you get to the point of having the client being willing to go to counseling, you can't bet that it's all going to work. And I mentioned this one case of that one client with the two brothers and a sister. The reality is they went through the counseling. I even brought in the person that would work with them, and they worked with them, but their Conflict was so deep-seated that it wasn't going to resolve itself. And again, and I talked about one previous example I had with a construction company where we had to liquidate, I recommended that they sell the company. I said, I honestly believe that I also mentioned they had four or five consultants before me. (laughs) That was the giveaway, all right? You're dealing with the same client I was dealing with? I said, you're going to end up with nothing as we end up with. And believe it or not, a year later, they took my advice. I actually found them a broker and we sold the business for a lot of money, I might add, that I can assure you that where they were going, if they had never had me interceding, not to give myself any credit, they probably would have ended up with business with half the value by the time they would finally get around to selling it. I had a similar situation where I was actually recommended to two brothers who were running a business by a business psychologist who had been dealing with them for six months. They had been estranged for almost five years and basically had didn't speak to each other. One ran the operations, one ran sales and basically ran the company, but he was doing it from a far Western state and the operations were in a far Eastern state protecting the guilty here. And the interesting thing was he recommended me. I stepped in. We got all our stuff together and put a plan together, started to go. And then it blew up because of one small thing that happened between the brothers I had no control over and they went sideways. And it was right back to where they had been damn near five years before, because they were so used to dealing that way in their business, which they had done for 15 years before they even got to this estrangement. And they had been that way as kids, big brother, little brother kind of thing. And so it's something that in order for this to work, you have to want to change And it's more than just want to, you have to change because you're not going to grow otherwise. Back to some of these issues with parents, I get the one of, oh, the kids are destroying the business or some kind of (laughs) negative criticism of the kids' performance. And invariably, most of the time you go in here and you see the kids are actually doing a great job, but you have the parent who's so (laughs) envious that the kids are doing better than they do. (laughs) Exactly. If that wasn't an important point, there was actually a book written called The Final Test of Greatness by the gentleman. And it said basically that your final test of greatness is really how well your kids take over the business. And some parents, instead of being in joyous recognition of their kids' performance, are finding ways to undermine them. Undermine them. Show them that they're necessary. So moving along, because I know we're going to have limited time here, we've covered kind of the typical one. The last one on parents is the, when I'm done, I'll turn it over to you. And of course, that's where the 90-something-year-old's operator says, to the seven-year-old son, someday this will all be yours, comma, 
when my father turns it over to me. <laughs> okay. So I don't believe we're going to run short of time. The hand from the grave. I can <laughs> see it. Yes. So take it over now. Sibling rivalry, parental issues. We've kind of covered. I think everyone knows it. And we're going to talk about the fact that while many small business owners aren't comfortable with the thought of having to get formal structure and things like that, the reality is it's a payment that we say this so many times, pay me now, pay me later. If you're not prepared to do some of the formal things that we would be telling you about, you're only inviting problems later. I mean, what you've got to do is you have to make an assessment. You have to get an objective assessment made. If the business is not going well, get an objective assessment made of how about the management team? How are we looking at? Can we handle this? And sometimes it really is necessary to bring in an outside professional manager because there isn't anybody in the company that has the skill set to take the business, the family business, through the levels of growth that it needs to go through. Just because it's a family business, it doesn't have to always be a mom and pop. It can actually be a family business could be a $100 million company. And there's nothing stopping that except the family. And that's something to consider. Stan, you've seen that. Oh, God. I mean, how often have you seen, we don't need professional management. We're able to do this. Oh, yeah. Are you setting me up for my war story here? Yes. You're really good at the segue stuff. Just well, a then. second. Let me finish putting this tea down. <laughs> <laughs> See how far you can hit this ball now. <laughs> so on the subjects of bringing in non-family people, trusted advisors, how about this one? So the father and the son were good friends with one of their tenant. It was a pretty bright guy to my dad. And they trusted him. They liked him. He seemed to be neutral. Here's the end of that story. <laughs> the tenant, their good friend, A, left the building. <laughs> okay. And is no longer considered a friend of the father. <laughs> Interesting. That was, when we say get a neutral non-family member, we don't mean a friend of a family. No, no, no. When we say professional management, we mean somebody who's run companies, who's taken companies from one level to another. And whatever you do, if you're going to do this, interview several people. Have a third party interview them, in fact, where basically you get to see through somebody else's eyes what this person might be able to do for your business. That's a hard thing for a family business to really reconcile. But sometimes it's necessary, less it ends up being, we got to sell the business because nobody can run it from here. So what are some of the other things that you can do to address these, especially with the parent-child conflicts? Number one, there are a ton of resources, whether they be articles, podcasts, webinars. There's a ton of stuff to kind of get both parties, not just one, introduced to a lot of the formal things we would be teaching you if we had tons of time to give it. There's no lack of resources of just preparing because sometimes when it's coming from someone else rather than from the parties themselves, it is, let's say, received the more readily and it's something they can engage. And while it is sometimes useful to bring someone who might be a 
non-family trusted person understands, I just gave an example, that it has its own risks in doing that at times. But I'm not going to tell you never to do it because I've done it a lot and it worked. But that's because I was involved to facilitate some of that dialogue. In fact, I'm the one who recommended it because I could see that neither party was yet willing to let me as a third party do it. And they felt that the fuzzy blanket when you're a kid, they felt a little warmer or fuzzier having someone involved that they knew and trusted. And it wasn't just their lawyer. It's important to have that trusted partner, whether it's somebody who's going to be in the business or somebody who advises the business and has objectivity and can really begin to show the business how to be more professional. If you see anything in family business that's common business to business, it's often the lack of professionalism where basically they've run it the way dad ran it. Not saying that dad wasn't professional. It's just this was his way because maybe it was his father's way. Well, in order to grow that business, you got to change. And that's hard in a family business. And Lonnie, I know you've got about six or seven items you could rattle off that maybe we can give them before we end this. Sure. I mean, we can go through several of these, but a couple of them are focus on both the family and the business. Address individual family members' needs and goals. The fact that you want family to feel like they are investors as well as employees, because their net worth, majority of their net worth, if not all of it, is tied up in this business. They've got to have an understanding for why they want to do this. See, and this is the same in any business, depending on how far the stock goes down or how they treat options or whatever. In a family business, it's much more emotional, of course. And that the fact that minority ownership problems can be majority ownership problems if minority issues and objectives aren't addressed because people don't understand stock ownership. They don't understand all of those things. A perfect example, and in a non-family business, I told you before about how I do these one-on-one meetings with each of the employees. And with one of them, it was a business that was going flat, and but we introduced a whole incentive program, et cetera, that had options in it and the like. And we were doing well because it was a public company and we started to really kick it. So I asked one of the guys who was on the line in one of these calls, I said, why isn't anybody excited about this? He said, well, we don't have the money to buy these things. And I said, oh, shit. No, you don't have to buy them. Here's how this works. I ended up having to teach a class so they understood what ownership meant, what stock meant, what options meant, et cetera. Same thing. Do that with your people. So I'll try to wrap it up with that thought, the old Smokey the Bear thing. I think one of the things we want to say is when you got the drama happening, you have to deal with it like a forest fire. You got to jump on it quickly before it gets out of control. And I think that's oftentimes we're brought in when the fire is raging and they're wondering why we can't put it out in a matter of a day or two. So that's something just to be proactive on it. And lastly, I would say, make sure, especially with the family members, but with all employees, that they're in the right role. Because sometimes just people be in the wrong job, 
has its own cause of conflict and drama and things like that. So just keep that in mind. No question. So I guess we'll have a little wrap-up. Lonnie, you want to give us a little summary maybe for us? One last thing, Stan, and I say this to every business that I ever work with, and that's have fun. Just because you run a business together doesn't mean that work has to be the primary focus. As a family with a business, have fun together. That goes a long way to bringing the company together, whether it's family-owned or privately-owned. And let me wrap up here. It's a very difficult thing to cope with family dynamics in a family business. That doesn't mean that you should merely endure them, though. There's no point in stewing in anger and guilt, and it solves no problems. It only increases the anger and hostility and paves the way for explosion, recrimination, impaired relations. No. Keep a level head about this and understand that family and business are intertwined here. What happens in the family often impacts the business. Be aware of that. Thanks for your time today. Check out our blogs that we have on our website at sbvirtualroundtables.com. And also consider being a guest at one of our monthly virtual roundtables where you can learn more about this topic from peer members and our corporate partners. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business. Delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. 